ready for the jury? Yes. have a seat, sir. All right, your next question. Uh, Mr. Depp, I'd like to just briefly go through the security personnel that you just listed out before we took a break. Um, how long has Leonard Damien be, been with you? My, my kids are now 20, 23. Leonard's, Leonard Damien's been with me, I believe. Roughly the same time as Mr. Bett, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 16, 17 years. I, uh, I, yeah, I can't be precise, but they were very young. My children were very young when, when they uh, joined the team, which was re really after Pirates was released in 2003, the first. Now you mentioned your children is, what is uh, Mr. Damien's role with respect to your children's security? Excuse me? You mentioned your children yes. with respect to Leonard Damien. Is his role in connection with your children's security? Uh, y yes, very much so. Leonard, um, <clears throat> Leonard is Leonard Damien and um, and Sean Bett for, for uh, quite a while, were both um, sort of assigned, as it were, to, to my kids, um, uh, taking them to school, picking them up from school if, if uh, Vanessa and I were unable to do it. Or even if we were there, we would drive with them um, to take the kids to school. Um, and over the, the years, obviously, your, your children, uh, my children have, have uh, taken uh, quite a shine to, to, to them. And they've become like um, another set of parents, in a way. And how long has Travis McGivern been with you? Travis, I believe, a little bit less than that. I believe. I, I couldn't. I couldn't really speculate. Uh, it's a little less. Maybe it's thirteen years. Or, I don't know. Now you mentioned that you had to bring on additional security after 
Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, yes. How has the fame associated with that the, that franchise affected your your personal relationships? Um, again, I, I, I would never complain about the re, the repercussions, let's say, or yeah, the the repercussions of um, the success of that film. Um, but of course, as I said, there are sacrifices that one <clears throat> one has to make. Um, sacrifices that you're you're not nearly ready for. Um, just simply when when you check into a when you go to a town or you go on a press tour or something and you're staying in a hotel people stay in hotels all the time I stay <laughs> I stay in the hotel I it it's uh, we've found that it's just a lot easier if I stay put in a hotel and um, not kind of, again, especially if it's with the kids or something, I don't want them to, I, I've never wanted them to see me as, as a novelty. I just wanted to be dad, you know. Um, now, they're well aware of, uh, a lot, and uh, they're well aware of pretty much everything. Um, but no, you, you you know you when you get when you get recognized uh, wherever you go, um, the, the the basic the basic truth is it's it's, it's pretty simple. People are generally kind. And curious, um, and if if you've if if they've grown up with you in their living room um, from a television series or from various films that that they've seen, um, there's there's nothing menacing about being recognized. Sometimes there can be. Sometimes people can get go get weird, and but but uh, um, we've found that it's it's just uh, it's it's better all around if if I um, stay in my hotel room and uh, and don't go out uh, to too many restaurants or anything because. It generally causes a bit of a hubbub. If you go to a restaurant, someone calls the paparazzi, and you go in for a meal, and you come out, and there's 30 guys out there. It's uh, it can be um, a little overwhelming. It's not. It's not something. I think I said it before. It's. It's not something that I that that. It's not something that I've ever gotten used to, and it's something that I hope I never get used to. 
um, because I, I don't think of myself in those terms. I used to be, um, I used to be Johnny, if, if, if that makes sense. I used to be Johnny, and then my name, full name, which I, I, I honestly find still, it's difficult, it's, if I, it's uncomfortable to say my own name because I, when, when I say it, I hear the commodity, I hear the product. So I just, I went from Johnny to Johnny Depp and, um, and then that name, um, with that name, Johnny Depp, and some image was cultivated, um, certainly not by me, but, but, but uh, the, the, the media, um, especially in those days, they, they must label you. They have to give you a label. Um, and labels are one of the things that I've fought vigorously with regard to my work. I, I, I never wanted to be um, <clears throat> the poster boy. I never w wanted to be the... Uh, I don't have, I, you know, I'm not built with that kind of hubris. I don't, I don't have that kind of... Uh, 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 confidence. I, I I can do virtually anything playing a character. I can become the character in my work um, and that character may be able to he may be able to spit out a hundred words a minute but me, myself, Johnny, I uh, Cannot. <laughs> so the, the, therein lies the difference, you know. Mr. Depp, other than acting, what other artistic pursuits do you have that may be a little less known to the general public? Well, I've remained uh, a, a musician. I've been a musician. Um, I started playing the guitar when I was 12 years old, and uh, that saved my life because I locked myself into a, in, in my bedroom um, at the age of 12, uh, listening to, you know, records, moving the needle back and then learning that piece and then learning it again. So, uh, so much so, to, I mean, that, that I, 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 I don't remember uh, I, I have no memory of going through puberty. I, 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 uh, I was just playing the guitar. I was just, I was obsessed with uh, my guitar. Any other artistic pursuits? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've always drawn since I was very small, since I was very little. Um, and always enjoyed drawing and then began to paint um, and so they started learning about painting and trying to um, um, 
I suppose different ways of, of expressing oneself, different ways to, different ways to um, release um, the things that are living in, in, in your head, whether they be beautiful memories, whether they be horrific memories, whether they be um, I, I, I have a, um, I, I need to create, it's, it's a need, it's a, of course I want to create as well, but I, I, I actually need to create because I need to summon whatever whatever it is that I need to summon to whether and whether that's within a film or a, a painting or a guitar note um, all of those things sh should come from a place uh, of, of the, an organic place a place of truth um, because if they don't Well, then you're just lying, aren't you? I, I, every bit of truth, a person doesn't have to say anything on film. Um, what's important is what's behind the eyes. And if they do say something, what's important is not necessarily the words that they say. It's very easy to say, I love you, but what brings it into the realm of truth is what's underneath it, what's not being said, the subtext, if you will. So um, any artistic or creative venture, any film, anything that I do, that's, um, that's where I'm coming from, that's, that's my approach. Mr. Duff, you mentioned words, and I think the jury has already seen um, some words that you've written in text messages. Yes. Um, can you please tell the jury a little bit about how you write? I, certainly. I, um, when I was young, when I was about 12 years old, my, my elder brother, um, Danny, um, walked into my room and ripped the Peter Frampton record off my record player, threw it across the room and said, you gotta stop listening to this stuff. And he put this record on and it started and I'd never heard anything like it. It was called uh, Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. So I'm a kid, you know, 12 years old. So my brother turned me on to Van Morrison, then he turned me on to soundtracks like Clockwork Orange or uh, um, um, Last Tango in Paris. Or, um, he turned me on to books by Jack Kerouac. He turned me on to books by Ginsberg, um, Philip K. Dick, I mean, Salinger, I mean, the whole, James Joyce, the whole, Hemingway, the whole thing. So, um, so I became very interested in vocabulary and and the the 
the unique voices of these writers. Um, and then I started reading people like Tom Robbins and Hunter S. Thompson, and then ended up becoming very close uh, friends with, with, um, with Hunter Thompson for the last uh, 10, 12 years of his life. And uh, Hunter's writing, of course, because of the amount I spent, of time I spent with him, it has influenced my writing uh, greatly. Hunter was known for inventing a thing called gonzo journalism, which is, it's, it's, it's uh, the author putting himself in the situation um, uh, as opposed to writing it from the author's point of view, he writes it with him in it. Um, and it, it, there are great um, embellishments, and uh, embellishments are great sort of ways that he would twist things and um, express um his 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 feelings um and so he he became a huge hero of course to me and a, a great friend i uh, uh in my texts and in my emails or sometimes just even in my writing um you do you take you, you, you take the subject and you um, try to express it in your own vernacular. And, and in that, um, as for example, with the text messages that, that, that I apologize that everyone's had to uh, experience, I am ashamed of, uh, of some of the references uh, made. I'm uh, embarrassed that at the time, the heat of the moment, um, the heat of uh, the pain um, that I was feeling, um, went to went to dark places. There is no. If you're writing, there is no set place that you have to stay in. You can travel. And sometimes um, pain can be, has to be dealt with, with humor. And sometimes dark, very dark humor. Um, I, I, I grew up watching Monty Python. I, I, you know, so yes, it, it, it can tend to get into dark uh, humor. It can uh, tend to get uh, um, words are used that for emphasis. Um, and words are used to express 
what what you're feeling at the time and um it's just like growing up you learn from those mistakes you learn from those things and um you move forward you know um and that that's how you that's how you start to understand your own vernacular and what's important you know what's necessary and what's not necessary um i tend to be quite expressive in my writing and after um <clears throat> after the uh, after the unfortunate um, words of Ms. Heard um, um, made their way into my heart um, and my head those are those are two very opposing things so you're you're trying to you you you're trying to find the best way to express something to a friend sometimes you're exaggerating uh, you know something that you've done um um just to make it sound just to make him understand that i, I you know i'm on I'm on planet question mark here. I don't know what's going on and I but I know I'm in this situation and I know that it cannot continue. Mr. Depp, the, the jury's heard quite a bit from Ms. Hurd's side about your drug and alcohol use, but I'm sure they'd like to hear from you. So could you please just tell them about your history of substance use? Certainly. Um, again, this this goes back to when I was a, a young boy. Um, excuse me. Um, at about the age of, I don't know, four or five years old, I I can remember vividly my my mom telling me to go get her nerve pills, you know, um, out of her purse that was hanging on the back of the door. So I'd go get the nerve pills and I'd bring her the nerve pill, she'd take it. And, um, you know, after a few years, you start to notice, well, you start to think about nerve pills, nerve pills. <laughs> and then she seemed to calm down after she took those nerve pills so when i was 11 years old um i wanted to calm down and i didn't know how to so i i'd bring my mom her nerve pill i would walk away and i would take one myself um 
to escape. Caring so much, feeling so much, uh, to escape the, the, the chaotic um, nature of, of, what, of what we were living uh, through. Um, so that, that, that was the beginning when I realized that nerve pills calm the nerves. Um, pretty young age to do that. I, uh, I can't say that I'm proud of admitting to that, but, but I, I have to say that I knew not what else to do. I knew nothing else that I could do. Um, so, as we were all growing up, there was always those kids who would say, let's party. Let's go party. I want to party. I've never used the word party in my life. I've never, I've never taken any substance uh, for a party. I have taken these substances over the years on and off um, to numb, to numb myself of, of, uh, of the, the ghosts, the wraiths that were still with me and, um, from, from, from my youth. So, um, I needed, yeah, I, I, they were, everything, it was essentially, it was just self-medication. Um, one of those get me out of here moments and the, you know, where you want to escape from is your own brain, your own head. How often have you used substances throughout your life? Um, having started with my, my mother's nerve pills at 11, of course, the, the, the you know, that's around the age that um, you're introduced to uh, marijuana. Um, you're introduced to, and also depending on the where you're living and who you're um, associating with, and who's around the neighborhood. Um, I. No, I wasn't shy to uh, try a substance for, to see if the effect of it would maybe even take a bit more of the edge off. So I, I, I started um, at 11 and I mean, I even mentioned this in an interview in TV Guide, if anyone remembers TV Guide. Um, in 1989, where I was asked by the journalist um, why I believed that um, kids who were watching the show, 21 Jump Street, about police officers in school under, as un undercover 
uh, undercover cops, but, uh, but as students, um, I was asked why people, why these kids or whoever should, should, should believe me or trust me or listen to me. And I said, look, I, I, I could, uh, because I've experienced it and I can tell them that there is no future in it, that there's nothing but a, 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 a kind of an, a postponing of the inevitable, that one day you're going to have to face those feelings. One day you will meet those, let's call them uh, demons um, from your youth. Um, so I, I was, I was, I was, straight up open and honest at that time in, in, in a very, I mean, TV Guide was, uh, it was right at the register when you checked out at the grocery store. It was like the most popular thing and, and it was a very straight magazine, uh, little magazine. But I, 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 I told them I'd pretty much done all the drugs that I was aware of by the time I was 15 years old. Um, and which was true. Um, now, that doesn't mean to say that I continued in, in, into that, you know, forest of, of uh, possibilities with regard to substances. Um, I wasn't uh, um, dropping acid every five minutes. I wasn't I, I, there were many years that I didn't touch a substance and no drugs. There were many years that I uh, didn't have a drink. Um, so it's, as I said, it, it, it's never been for the sort of party effect. It's been for trying to numb the things inside that have that that that, that plague that, that can plague plague someone's uh, uh, who's who's experienced trauma um, but it the, the characterization um, of, of, of the, the characterization of my substance, quote unquote, substance abuse um, that's been delivered by uh, Ms. Hurd is, is, uh, is, 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 is grossly embellished. Um, and I'm sorry to say, but, um, a lot of it is uh, is just plainly false. I think that it was easy. It was an easy. Uh, I think it was an easy target for her to hit because once you've trusted somebody for a certain amount of years and you've told them all the secrets of your life, um, that information then, of course, can be used against you, especially if it's taken to a point that is teetering on 
impossible. Uh, uh, and tears over impossible, in fact, at times. It's so, I, I, I am not um, some maniac who needs um, to be high or loaded all the time. I, I in fact, the, 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 in Australia, from before Australia and in Australia, I had been um, off, off of alcohol for, I believe it was about 18 months. Mr. Duff, you've mentioned some periods of sobriety throughout your life. How many would you estimate you've had? Uh, quite, uh, quite a number. Uh, you know, it, it, on, on various films, you see, um, I suppose, I, I guess maybe by example, if, if anyone's, uh, well, if you're familiar with Hunter Thompson's book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I, I was uh, lucky enough to make uh, into a film and, and, uh, with Terry Gilliam. The, the film calls for myself and my attorney to be absolutely blotto out of our heads constantly uh, throughout the film. And most people just assume that, well, they just got wasted and they filmed them. There would have been no way to, you couldn't act that. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't make that film with two actors who were loaded. There would be no way. Um, and then to the other extreme, Donnie Brasco, uh, a film that I made about a, an FBI agent. I, I, I had to, uh, uh, I had to go, in, go into a training regime where I, I, I had to eat five meals a day, drink five shakes a day, you know, these protein shakes per day, um, work out three to four hours a day because I had to gain 20 to 30 pounds of muscle. Uh, um, uh, there was certainly no, no abuse of um, substances uh, then. I, there's been no abuse of substances on film sets. There have been no, uh, there's been no, there's been no moments where I would have been considered out of control, never. In fact, It's not been mentioned that I'm sure they don't want to mention it, but I remember that because we, when I was with Ms. Hurd um, and her friends and we were all drinking wine um, and I smoking um, marijuana, um, they would, they used to tease me because, the, because of uh, what they said was a, a, a ludicrous tolerance because I 
because I never appeared loaded or high or any of that. I, I, I um, even if even if I felt a little spinny, I know no one would have ever known. Mr. Depp, is there any substance that you've ever been addicted to? Yes. And, and what is that? Um, Roxycodone or Roxycontin, which is um, it's an opiate. It's um, I think I think oxycodone has the opiate and then some pain like paracetamol or something, and, and then the Roxys are just the opiate, as far as I uh, remember. And um, when I was I was working on Pirates Four, and uh, there there was a scene in which I had to um, grab this large gold and uh, gold and red, you know, stately gilt chair, pick it up and throw it, chuck it out this uh, big giant window. And so I did it, and as I swung around to throw the throw the chair out the window, um, I felt this immediate electricity from from the bottom of my spine down to down my left leg, um, and it was like an electricity that burned. It, 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 so I had obviously done, it was sciatica, so I'd obviously pinched something, done something. So I went to, I saw a chiropractor or a kine or whatever, I saw chiropractors and, and uh, to no avail. Uh, then I saw a doctor and, and uh, the only pain medication that she uh, recommended and prescribed to me was uh, uh, roxycodone. Um, and uh, there was a part of me that was a little bit worried, just in a sense that I, I, I know um, I've witnessed uh, friends and people over the years who have um, who've had problems with uh, heroin. You know, um, and I, I didn't want to get bit by that snake. And I started taking the Roxy's and uh, I was bit by the snake. And then before you know it, um, that, that monkey is on your back to stay. And it's not like you take those pills to get high. You you take them to once 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 the addiction has grabbed hold of you. You you're not taking those pills to get high. You're you're taking those pills to get a, a well or to get better. 
because if you're without the pill, your body will start to go into various uh, you'll, you'll withdrawals. And um, so I was, I was on the Roxy's for a number of years, uh, four or five years, I think, maybe more, I don't know. But um, the key was that I, I, if you take two, you will be um, what they call on the knot. You will be that. You'll, you will just drop into sleep. Um, uh, so, um, yes, I, I, I didn't like being dependent on on these on these pills. I didn't like being dependent on on um, a, on a drug that would you take only so you wouldn't get withdrawals. That's what it becomes. It's like a junkie. The, the reason why so many, uh, well, now there's a huge fentanyl problem, but, but the reason why junkies generally, why they end up overdosing is because they're looking for the first high again. And you, you don't get that. You don't get your first high again. So what do you do? You up the stakes and you put more, you take more. And, and that's what makes uh, them, that's what makes things go dark for them because they overestimated the amount that they, that their body could tolerate and they go blue and they die. So, um, yeah, I didn't want that. Mr. Depp, do you have an estimate as to what year you started taking the, the opiates that you just described? Um, when, uh, 2000, or excuse me, uh, it was pirates. Bless you. Four, I believe. Pirates four. No, it was pirates four. Rob Marshall directed it. Um, I don't know what year that was. M maybe. I actually don't. I have no idea what year that was. Was it before you were in a relationship with Miss Hurd? Yes. I believe so. And you didn't detox. And you detoxed from those opiates during your relationship with Miss Hurd. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so they, of course, yes. Yeah, so they must have, yeah, they did come around prior to my meeting this earth. After you detoxed from the opiates, have you ever taken any opiates ever again? No, I can't. That's a, no. Once you've been bit, you'll be bit again. So, no, I, with any, I mean, even with my finger, uh, I, I think that there was like Mot Motrin 800, uh, uh, you know, 
But no opiates. No, I have not taken an opiate since, and I won't un unless I plan on going through the the hell of the, the pure horror of detoxing, of coming off those drugs. No. Mr. Depp, I'd like to now turn to your relationship with Ms. Hurd. Um, can you please tell the jury how you met Ms. Hurd? Mm -hmm. um, 2000, in, in around 2008, uh, Hunter Thompson and I were going through some of his manuscripts uh, of his books that have been published and then I, I found this manuscript in one of his boxes, and it was called The Rum Diary. And I had heard about it, and I knew it was what they called his long-lost novel. In fact, the only novel he ever wrote. Um, and I showed it to him, and Hunter was, Hunter was shocked. My God, that's where it is, you know. <laughs> and. Uh, so he said, read me some. So I started reading this to him. And he said, this is a movie. You know, we, we, we must produce this together. And you know, he got all excited about the, the idea of doing that. So we went right into it. And we started to um, set up meetings to, uh, to, get, to, to, to get money, uh, financing, to develop the project. And, uh, we finally ended up getting the money to develop the project and to make the film. Um, Hunter, um, uh, from his own um, dilemmas in his in his life, um, uh, committed suicide, um, and. Uh, but I, having had long, long talks with him, I knew every angle of the book, but I knew every angle of the film that he wanted, which was going to be a bit different than the book. And Bruce Robinson, who was a great writer-director, directed a film called With Nail and I, and How to Get Ahead in Advertising, was the one director that Hunter and I talked about and so I, I I went to Bruce who was a friend of mine and I ripped him out of retirement because he never wanted to direct another film again. I pulled him out of retirement after 27 years and uh, he agreed to write the screenplay and direct the film and uh, we proceeded. Uh, during the auditioning process um, Bruce Bruce was, uh, for that Hunter, Hunter had very specific ideas of what these characters should be. Um, Bruce had been auditioning um, girls or women from, for, for the role of Ch uh, Chenault in the film. And there were the, there were this sort of, the starlets that, that were up and coming and or there were some that were well known and 
um, things of that nature. But, you know, one of the things that Hunter was very against was stunt casting. That is to say, put a bunch of very famous people in a movie and well, let them go and, and then hope for the money in the, in the end. So Bruce had asked me, he said he had been auditioning uh, this, this one particular actress named Amber Heard. Um, he said that he'd auditioned her five times and he was um, he wasn't sure about her capabilities um, as an actress with regard to the film and the character and what and taking direction and that sort of thing. So he asked me if I would read with her for the, for the film. And I had met, already met a number of actresses and things. And, I, and so what I said to Mr. Robinson is I said, Bruce, I, I, I don't, if you've, if you've auditioned her five times, you've seen the best and the worst, I suppose. So me putting her this, this girl in an uncomfortable situation, you know, saying, hey, all right, let's read this. I think, is a, I, think it's a, I think it's a far better idea that we just meet so that I can see how she behaves, um, see how she reacts, because that's really all it is, reaction, behavior. And you don't have to push anything else, you know. Um, so I'm, they made a, an appointment. Uh, she she came to my office. I took one look at her and I thought, yeah, that's 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 the Chenault that Hunter wants. That's the one. I just I thought, yeah, she could definitely kill me. That's. Uh, that's what Hunter wants. And so we spoke, and she was sweet as pie, pleasant, again, you know, um, intelligent, literate, very good taste. Uh, um, and I felt like if she, what I felt and what I told Bruce was, look, when you put, some, when you put someone in a situation that, that, that they're obviously going to be, feel under pressure. Um, it's not the best way to, to, really, to really know what they're capable of. And I made suggestions such as, um, and which I ended up making to Ms. Hurd, I made suggestions of films that might give her some insight into what what we were looking for in terms of the film which is to say i gave her films like to have and have not um and things of that nature because i wanted to there was something very important that she i thought felt she needed to know about stillness as opposed to 
you know, uh, going broad or 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 taking acting a little too much. So I felt like I could. I felt like I could be a bit of a traffic cop in that sense, so that because if we if we could connect, then it would it could work as long as there was truth in her eyes, and as long as there was truth coming out of her uh, uh, dialogue. You know, then it's all in the editing. So I I I. I felt that I could help her with that idea of stillness. Um, and so, so that's where I, that's when I first met Miss Hurd. How would you describe your interactions with Miss Hurd when you worked together on The Rum Diary? Um, initially, well, yeah, no, mostly very, very, very few interactions. Um, I remember there was a time I wasn't working that day, but I was producing you know, one of the producers of the film, <clears throat> and um, it was a scene from the book that that was it was a it was a it was a scene where Ms. Hurd's character was in a nightclub, and w were amongst. Um, the locals, and she's very drunk, and everybody's very drunk, and she ends up dancing with a few of the local, like one of the local guys and stuff, and then the other local guys start to sort of close in on her. In the book and in the screenplay, as it was written, there was a... a she, there was a, required, a requirement for nudity um, for the part. And uh, I was on set the day that they were shooting that. And as I, as I was watching the crowd coming in on her, I realized, you know what? Because I would check on Ms. Hurd and say, are you all right? Are you sure you're okay? Because this is, you know, she was like, no, no, I'm fine, fine, fine. But I realized that with the crowd surging in towards her, that we didn't have to do, we wouldn't have to do the nudity. Because if she, if she took, took her shirt off and she had uh, a red bra on um, and a skirt, then if she had a red bra in her hand, when the crowd surged in on her, all she had to do was lift the red bra up out of the crowd and there's no nudity, but it's certainly implied because then she disappears, for, the character disappears for a few days and um, and she's quite a wreck when she comes back because bad things have happened to her. So I, I remember telling Ms. Hurd, "Hey, you don't, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to take your clothes off. You don't have to take your top off. You don't have to. Everything's cool." Um, 
and she was appreciative. Um, and uh, but, but but other than that, we didn't really um, have much interaction until um, until there was a um, a scene where I, I was I'm, I'm taking a shower, and then she comes into the room and she walks opens the shower and we kiss and uh, that moment was um, it was um, yeah it, 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 it was a, it was it, it felt like something um, it felt like something that I shouldn't be feeling because she had her wife um, and even though it was a scene and, and, and she had her wife and, and I had Vanessa and kitties and um, yeah. When would you say your romantic relationship with Miss Hart actually began if, if not in that moment? Well, I think there was something in the kiss, in the shower, that was very um, real. Um, so that day after work, Mr. Uh, had come to my trailer, and I was. Uh, Uh, I was I was uh, listen, I was just sitting there listening to uh, actually old blues stuff, and um, we had a glass of wine and um, and 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 we kissed. Um, and at that point, we were the, my trailer was the only trailer in the parking lot. Um, she had a mind to stay in the trailer there for a while with me, and I uh, didn't think that was a very good idea on any level, especially since there were about nine Teamsters waiting to move the trailer. Um, and then that was that until to till whenever the uh, we did the first day of the press junket uh, for the Rum Diary in Los Angeles uh, two years later and um, she had she had broken up I believe with her wife and my uh, for lack of a, well, my wife, uh, we, we weren't married, married, but she was, of course, my wife, Vanessa. Um, had, we, we had had uh, some not so great um, situations, you know. Um, she wanted, she needed, she needed, she was stuck in America. <laughs> She wanted to go back to France. She wanted to have her life back. 
She's a no, she's a well-known singer there. She's That's not long out there. Right, right around then is when <clears throat> Miss Heard and I started to uh, see each other here and there occasionally. Um, between the end of the filming of the Rum Diary and the the press junket, did you and Miss Heard communicate at any time in between? Mm -mm. I, I don't remember. I remember that there was a, a there was a white dress that she was really she really was infatuated with. That she really loved this dress that she wore in the film, and uh, so I I went to Colleen Atwood, the costume designer, and to Bruce, and I said, "Do you think we can snag this this white dress?" and send it to uh, to Amber, uh, you know, after she'd wrapped, because she loved the, she loved the thing. Um, I remember talking to her, I think, then, but briefly, briefly. What did you like about Miss Heard when you first started your romantic relationship? She she seemed to be she seemed to be the um, she, she seemed to be the perfect uh, partner in a sense, in my head, for me, because she, as I said, she she was, she was, seemed to be very knowledgeable about old, obscure blues music that I listened to and really liked. Um, she was literate, she was uh, sweet, funny, nice, all those things, you know. Um, and, and, and she was, from the beginning of our relationship at that time, for a good year, a year and a half, um, she was uh, she was wonderful, and and then things just started to uh, change, or things started to reveal themselves. That's I think is a better way to put it. You mentioned earlier in your testimony that Miss Heard would, would take off your boots when you would get home from work. What other types of um, behaviors did you observe in Miss Heard early in the relationship? Um, little things that you would kind of, it would just, you'd question in, in, in the back of your mind, you know, if. If uh, if she wanted to 
go to bed. I'd say, oh, well, I, I, I can't sleep, you know, right now. And rather than go and just lay in a bed and stare at the ceiling, I would say, I'll, you know, I'll just watch, I'll be out here watching TV or hanging out. And, and that was just not acceptable. Just not acceptable. It would, uh, it would steer up some, some rather unusual um, reactions from her. I, 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 I didn't understand why I, as a 50-something-year-old man, was not allowed to go to sleep when I wanted to, uh, as opposed to when she wanted to. It, it started out with little things like that. And again, they, they just, uh, <clears throat> they eventually, they just, I suppose like anything, if they're allowed to continue, then they, then they are allowed to grow. They're allowed to blossom into whatever they're going to become. What were you and Miss Hurd's nicknames for each other? Um, I called her Slim. Why is that? I called her Slim um, because of the, the film that I had given her to watch like about, in terms of stillness was Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. And uh, I called her Slim and she called me Steve, which was Lauren Bacall's and Humphrey Bogart's nickname, uh, nicknames for each other in the, in the film. That was their names in the film. Um, and it, it, you know, it wasn't, also wasn't lost on me the fact that uh, there was an age difference and that, uh, um, my God, when, 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 when Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, that's when they met on that film, he was 45 years old and she was 19. Um, and they stayed together until, well, for many years until Bogart passed away. So, yeah, the, 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 the there was a kind of a joke, to, not joke, but just, uh, yeah, I acknowledge the, the fact that I was the old craggy bogey and she was this, um, um, beautiful um, um, creature, this, this stunning creature. When did you first meet Miss Hurd's parents? I first met Miss Hurd's parents when uh, they they had come out to Los Angeles. I believe, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, I, feel, I feel like that I met them. Uh, I think they came to my place, to my to, to, uh, to my studio, and um, they were two completely opposite ends of end of the spectrum people. Page. Um, was uh, she was an angel she was an angel and uh, and uh, I loved her very much uh, I, I loved her instantly and we had a very good relationship um, her father 
David was the opposite end of that. He was this outrageous kind of almost like a cartoon cowboy, you know. And he was, um, the initial thought, I mean, my initial kind of definition for David would have been rascally, like a rascal, you know. Um, but I, 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 I loved, I mean, I grew to love them both very much, uh, as, as well as her, uh, her sister Whitney. And um, yes, it, it felt like I had been welcomed into some sort of family. I had been accepted into this this family, and um, those relationships stayed solid um, until just a bit after we'd uh, separated. How often did you spend time with Miss Hurd's parents during your relationship with Miss Hurd? Quite a lot. Whether we, I, I used to have a boat um, and we would go, we would take her parents or family and we'd go sail the boat and, um, you know, drop anchor at the island and uh, we would spend a week, two weeks, whatever, on the boat, on the island. Um, also, uh, they would come to Los Angeles quite a bit. We also would go to Austin here and there to see them and visit them. Um, every year we would, uh, on their anniversary, um, I had a friend of mine who had a restaurant in Austin, like a very good restaurant in Austin, and uh, I'd, I'd call him up and basically, basically set it up so that every year on their anniversary they could just go there and, and um, they'd be taken care of and there would be no bill so they could just celebrate. And I think one of the things we did was, yes, we, we would try to order them car so that uh, they, were, they could drink. Um, I, 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 I was very fond of them, very fond of them. Now you mentioned Miss Hurd's sister, Whitney. When did you first meet Whitney? I don't remember exactly when I met Whitney the first time, but I, I've, But I felt when I when I first met Whitney, there was something in there was something in what I saw of Whitney that was less, much less confident than Amber. Um, much more um, revealing of insecurities um uh objection your honor just foundations what he right. saw in whitney i think if you could answer the question 
you want to ask the question again? I, 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 we can move on. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Um, how would you describe your relationship with Whitney? Great. I mean, fantastic. She was, I called her sis. I loved her, you know. I felt, I had always felt something, I'd always felt like Whitney had missed out on something. Same objection. All right, you can move on. Okay, thanks. Um, where, where was Whitney living when you first, when you and Miss Heard first started your relationship? She was living with her then boyfriend, Sean Krzyzewski. Was this in the same, where was Ms. Hurd living when you first started your relationship? Uh, Ms. Hurd uh, had informed me that she just moved to a new place on Orange Avenue. What city is that in? Los Angeles, sorry, yeah. And was Whitney also living in Los Angeles? Whitney was living in Los Angeles, yes, with, with uh, Sean Krzyzewski and uh, So how often would you see Whitney um, when you and Miss Heard were in a relationship? Oh, a lot. Um, Whitney would uh, Whitney would come over all the time with her boyfriend for dinners and such. Uh, Miss Heard always liked having um, people over, you know, for dinner parties and socially shows, you know, social kind of events at her at her at her place. Have you ever done any drugs with uh, Whitney? Yes. How often would you do that? With Whitney? Yes, with Whitney. Maybe two, two times, three times maybe, twice, three times. Did there come a time when Whitney moved into um, the penthouses that you owned at the Eastern Columbia building? Yes. And, and when was that? I don't remember exactly when it was, but I, I uh, do remember that it was after uh, Rocky uh, Pennington and yes, I believe Josh Drew was there already as well. Um, Whitney, <clears throat> I can't remember why she needed a place, but she uh, needed a place, so we gave her penthouse four to live in. And how long did she live there for? Oh boy, uh, 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 on and off for, uh, I suppose, a couple of years. And how much rent did you charge her? Uh, now you said you did drugs a couple times with with Whitney. Um, what what drugs were you doing with Whitney? Whitney and I had uh, done a, a line or two of cocaine together. 
When did you start getting introduced to Miss Hurd's friends after you started your relationship with her? Almost immediately. Well, in fact, immediately, yeah. Immediately. I, I was introduced to uh, the whole gang, you know, Rocky, Io, Brittany Eustace, Whitney, certainly. Um, mm, who else? That, that, that's all that comes to mind at the moment. You, know, you, you mentioned Rocky. Uh, who is that specifically? Raquel Pennington. It was Miss Rhodes' good friend from youth, I suppose. And I think you mentioned Brittany Eustace as well. Who was that? Um, Brittany Eustace was uh, uh, just one of the gals. You know, she was one of the gals, and uh, she was quite bubbly and funny and um, real sweet girl, southern, southern girl. I haven't seen her um, in. I, I think I think that there I think that something went sideways between Brittany Eustace and the girls because she suddenly just disappeared from the group. And when was that? Probably we were probably uh, a year and a half or two, maybe two no two two years into the relationship three years maybe. And I believe you mentioned someone named Io. Who is that? Um, Io, Io Tillett Wright was a, a friend of Ms. Erd's from New York City who um, was, uh, who, who, who had identified as a, as a, she was born a female if that's the right terminology these days. Born a female, but she was, um, she, she, she had chosen, um, she, at a very young age, she had decided that she w was a, she was a male, and she identified as a male. Um, and I always seemed to be Again, uh, she was she was uh, very intelligent, very literate, um, kind of a go-get'em kind of activist type, and uh, she was writing a book. I remember she was writing a book. Um, I O, or he was writing a book, rather, and. Um, I, I I had a house on one of my on, on Sweetser. One of the houses there was empty, and it was in fact a house that I'd set up to to write in. And uh, when she she had no place uh, to stay or, or go, whatever, I, I I called her over and I showed her the house. You know uh, where the desk was and all the things, and, and uh, so she. I said, "Write your book." You know, 
write your book here. So, uh, so she, she did. Did Io end up living in that house or just working there? No, no, Io ended up, uh, no, she, she ended up uh, living in the house for somewhere in the neighborhood of a year, I guess, somewhere about a year. And how much rent did you charge to Io? Nothing. And did there also come a time when um, Rocky moved into the penthouses at the Eastern Columbia building? Uh, Rocky moved into penthouse two. And do you recall when that was? Oh no, penthouse one, sorry. Penthouse one. That was, that was not long after uh, Ms. Hurd and I started to uh, begin to dress that place up as our residence. So it wasn't very long after that at all that uh, Rocky and Rocky came. Um, I had already had my friend Isaac, who, who, who you've met, um, Isaac Perucci, the painter. He, I had already given him a penthouse too to stay in and, and uh, live in and paint in because he had, he'd just come back from Florida and uh, his mom had passed away and I think he had about $3 in his pocket. So I, I gave him the penthouse and asked him if he had enough paint. And so he lived there. Why did um, Rocky move into the penthouses? Objection uh, foundation. Mm. I'll overrule foundation. And hearsay, the question potentially calls for hearsay. Well, I'll overrule that for now. Go ahead, Mr. Depp. Um, what, what, why did, uh, sorry, what was it again? Why did Rocky end up moving into the penthouses? Um, she, she, she ended up moving into the penthouses um, I don't recall I, I, I believe it was something to do with just not having a, a, a place and Amber had asked if I would be okay with you know Rocky moving in and I said of course it's a the, the penthouse is empty. I, I, I wasn't in the. Uh, I wasn't going to be renting them out necessarily. Anyway, you know, they were for friends to come and stay. I, penthouse four, in fact, was initially planned out for my sister Christy to have an escape from her. 3,000 grandchildren and, uh, and uh, the amount of workload that she had taken on at the company. How long did Miss Pennington end up staying in the penthouses? Longer than I did. And how much rent did you charge to Miss Pennington? Nothing. Did anyone live with Miss Pennington in the penthouses? Yes, 
her fiance or boyfriend and fiance Josh Drew. Um, and then at a certain point, uh, I learned that there was uh, a, another female living there who I, I wasn't sure who that was. I didn't know who that was. It was it because it was a there was it, there were two bedrooms, and so she had invited a friend to move in, but I I, I met that person very briefly. A while after they had already been living there. Hi. I had a good breaking yeah. point. I think I this is a good sure. stopping okay. point. That's fine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is five o'clock, so we'll go ahead and break for the evening. Again, do not discuss the case with anybody, and don't do any outside research. Okay, and we'll see you in the morning at 10 a.m. All right. Thank you. Your, your excuse for the day. Thank you. And again, sir, since you're in the middle of your testimony, did not discuss your testimony with anybody to include your attorneys this evening. Okay? All right, you can you can stand down if you'd like. Okay, thank you. All right, is there any other matters for this evening? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs>